In early June, the church celebrates the feast of St. Charles Lwanga and his companions, the martyrs of Uganda. The story of the Ugandan martyrs begins in 1879, when Catholicism began spreading in Uganda through a congregation of priests known as the White Fathers. The priests were peacefully received by then-King Mutesa. Many of the young pages in the king's court converted to Catholicism under the guidance of the White Fathers. Then, King Mutesa died, and his son Mwanga took the throne. But Mwanga was corrupt, and he ritually engaged in pedophilic practices with the younger pages in his court. His chief page, Joseph Mukasa, was Catholic. Joseph went to great lengths to protect the younger pages from the new king. He denounced the king's actions, and he was beheaded because of it in 1885. On the night of Joseph's martyrdom, Charles Lwanga and a few other pages went to the White Fathers to be baptized Catholic. Some 100 more people were baptized in the week that followed. Charles became the new chief page, and he took up Joseph's mission to protect the younger pages from the king's advances. In time, the king found out about his pages' religious education. Furious, he ordered the Christian pages to be separated from the others. He asked them if they were willing to keep their faith. They answered in unison, until death. The young men were bound together and marched for two days to a location where they were burned at the stake. They died praying and singing hymns together. They're real shining examples of faithfulness, uh, of chastity, of bravery, uh, until the point of death and horrible death for the sake of their love of God and their desire to, to serve God with pure hearts and bodies and, and that, that virtue of chastity. They only died in 1886, not all that long ago, and uh, I think they're really important models for our members and for really anybody who's striving to live chastely in a world that's not supportive of that. Father Philip Bachansky is executive director of Courage International, a Catholic ministry for people experiencing same-sex attraction and their families. Father Philip said Pride Month, a secular holiday celebrating all things LGBT, is a complicated time of year for his ministry. The idea that we should show respect for people and, and maybe even a special solicitude for people who are living with this experience is part of the church's teaching. So there's nothing inherently wrong with looking out for the needs of people who identify as LGBT. There's one thing to show compassion and respect for a person, for an individual, which we're always called to do. And it's another thing entirely to take up the symbols that are used by people who have a different political agenda, which is often opposed to the teachings of the church. Father Philip said the roots of Pride Month are actually not all that problematic. Pride originally began to commemorate the Stonewall Riots, which took place in June of 1969. It started with just demonstrating for, for human rights, uh, especially in New York and places like the Stonewall Inn. People who identify as LGBT were being uh, mistreated by, by the police and, and by others in the community. And so it started as a, a way to raise visibility and awareness of what they were going through. And the idea that we, we should treat people who experience these things with respect and compassion and sensitivity, that's exactly what, what the catechism tells us to do. 
A 1986 letter from the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith actually goes even further, saying it is deplorable that people with same-sex attraction are the victims of malicious speech and action. That that betrays a lack of respect for human dignity, and that the church's pastors ought to call that out whenever it occurs and really condemn it. This principle is what guides Courage International's work. The organization uses local chapters to help Catholics who experience same-sex attraction feel supported and valued. To be a place for people who、uh, sometimes, when they return to the church, their their friends in the gay community don't have time for them anymore. It can be antagonistic towards them, and and sometimes they're not quite sure, you know, what kind of reception they would get at their local parish. If they say, "Well, this is my experience," but I'm I'm sort of striving to live chastely, and so. Uh, that's why we gather in our, our local chapters to just have a place where we can talk about their experience and, and support one another and build build those authentic friendships. He said Catholics can support people with same-sex attraction without sacrificing their faith. He said the first step is to distinguish between people and actions. Take pride parades, for example. You know the people that are involved are my, our brothers and sisters to us, and so I pray for them. Pray that they understand God's will, that they carry it out. I would never condemn a person、uh, because they identify a certain way, because of a desire that they have. But by participating in that, I believe I would be endorsing it, showing my support for it, and I, I can't do that because I don't think what they're promoting in terms of same-sex relationships, same-sex intimate、uh, relationships. I, that's not part of God's plan. I don't think it's, it's a good thing or something that we ought to encourage others to do. Father Philip said this mentality also extends to seemingly innocuous things, like displaying a rainbow flag. The rainbow flag is a symbol that has long been associated with pride in the LGBT community. Generally speaking, people are using those flags as a way to identify the gay community, the LGBT community, as a way to. Push for the right to marry, to、uh, you know, have a, a family life that the church and its teaching would、uh, would see as、uh, not part of God's plan. It's one thing、uh, for a person to be individually、uh, respectful. It's another thing to say, "Well, I'm going to fly this flag, and I know what I mean."、Um, but the the broader society assumes that that flag means much more than that, and in fact, means things that are opposed、uh, to what the church is teaching. Father Philip said an alternative to participating in pride events could be getting friends together to go to mass or to pray before the Blessed Sacrament for anyone who is confused or scandalized by pride events. You know, to pray for people who are struggling with telling their loved ones that this is their experience, or or for parents or family members who you know who aren't quite sure how to relate to a loved one who is out. The month of June has also long been dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Father Philip said the Sacred Heart shapes our understanding of what God, through the Church, is offering to those who experience same-sex attraction. I mean, what better model could we have than the Sacred Heart for、uh, that reality that Jesus, and therefore the Father and the Holy Spirit as well, they know the desires of our hearts from the inside out. They know exactly. How we feel, they know what it, it feels like to have desires,、uh, to be tempted, to yearn for、uh, an opportunity to love and be loved. The Lord Jesus knows from experience what it means to be rejected.
He knows what it's like uh, to have a broken heart for people who aren't hearing the message that he came to bring. Um, he's tested in every way that we are tested, right? And that all this is kind of encapsulated uh, in his sacred heart. That was Father Philip Bachansky, Executive Director of Courage International. After the break, two Catholics who have same-sex attraction share their stories and their hopes for their future in the Catholic Church. Stay with us. Smart speakers help with a lot these days. Did you know you can use your smart speaker to hear the top stories of the day from a Catholic perspective? On Google Home, all you have to do is walk up to your speaker and say, Hey Google, play Catholic News. Here's the latest news. Welcome to your Catholic Daily News briefing. If you have an Alexa, it's pretty much the same. Just say, Alexa, open Catholic News. Welcome back to the latest news from Catholic News Agency. Go to catholicnewsagency.com slash smart speakers for more information. My name is Emmanuel Gonzalez, um, though most people know me simply as Manny. Manny grew up in a Catholic household, and he said his mom and dad did a good job of teaching him the faith and raising him to be Catholic. But as Manny got a little older, things started to change. I started noticing something was a little different about me. Um, that I noticed that, like, while well, my other uh, guy friends were talking about, you know, girls that they liked and crushes that they had on other girls, I was sitting there like, I don't feel this way. In fact, I feel this way towards my classmates, towards other guys. Manny was understandably confused. And as he learned more in his Catholic school about the church's teaching, that confusion soon turned to anger. You know, like, what is going on? I have these attractions towards men. I have these feelings I don't understand. But yet the church tells me they're bad and that if I act on them, you know, that that's sinful. But like, I didn't choose this. And it just really threw me into this really confusing state, especially as a middle school boy with all my, you know, hormones and all these pressures and everything going on. Manny says he kind of bottled up what he was feeling. He put on a mask, so to speak, to avoid having to talk about the turmoil that was going on in his heart. So instead, he became something of a class clown. So I played every prank that I could, every joke that they asked me to, as long as I could just get the guys to laugh and like me. And eventually he got me kicked out of Catholic private school. Not once, but twice. So Manny's parents decided it just wasn't worth sending him to another Catholic school and decided to send him to a public school instead. But I still didn't do anything about, you know, my experience with same-sex attractions. I didn't um, act on them. I didn't tell anyone about them. I just kind of floated. And then I entered high school, still in public school. And my first half of high school was very much just, I was a vessel. I didn't, it was very empty. I didn't tell anyone about what was going on. I didn't connect with God. I just grew in deeper hatred of him. I, it was just, it was very empty. One day, when Manny was still in high school, his dad asked to take a look at his phone. My dad, he used to do this periodic check through my phone where he would just, you know, ask for my phone spontaneously and we would go through it. And, um, you know, he would just make sure, you know, that I wasn't, you know, falling into things that could be harmful to me, which I really appreciate looking back. 
But this time, Manny realized that there was something on his phone that he wasn't ready for his parents to see. That day, I had saved in my camera a conversation between me and a friend from youth group from my parish, where it was the first person that I ever told, I think I might be gay. Manny realized that it was probably time to share this information with his parents. So he sat them down. And I dropped the news on them. I just, I told them, I was like, Mom, Dad, I I think I'm gay. Manny says his parents didn't lecture him or condemn him in that moment. And they also didn't affirm it and say, you know, this is great. We love it. Happy pride. You know, it was very much, they held me while I was crying and they held me in their arms. And like, it was very much just a reflection of the father's love um, of meeting us where we're at and obviously not letting us stay there, but meeting us there. And they met me there and a few days had passed. And my dad very respectfully was like, hey, do you want to maybe talk to a priest or a counselor or somebody about this? Because I don't know really, you know, what the next steps are. But I kind of saw it as, you know, mom and dad know. So now I've got nothing else to hide. I, you know, I can tell everyone now because now that mom and dad know I can't, I don't have to fear people bringing it back to them somehow. So I started telling people um, left and right, just, you know, I'm gay. I took that on as my identity of like, this is who I am. Love this part of me. Love this in me. Like, this is, this is me. And by senior year of high school, I was known, I was the gay kid at my public high school, and I started getting romantically involved in men, started having boyfriends, started being sexually active. Once Manny graduated high school, he went to the local community college and continued to lean into the gay lifestyle. Where I started getting more involved in just um, the gay scene, the LGBT plus circles within the Dallas area, um, just got involved in all kinds of things, along with other sin too of I got very involved in the party scene um, just all those you know, drinking and um, just rebellion and I just fell into all kinds of sin it was more than homosexuality and you know acting on my same-sex attractions it was a lot more than that there were moments where I was happy because um, sin felt good but I wasn't ever joyful I didn't it was temporary happiness Manny lived that life for several years until one night when he says he woke up in the darkness and perceived something like a vision, an image of his own heart sinking into deep water. He understood that it was a message from God. I kind of describe it to people as like the Lord lifted the veil from my eyes and I was able to see the life that I was living and the path I was going down. And I was able to really just feel the grave that I was digging myself into and the weight of that. And I got scared. It was a wake-up call for Manny, but he didn't act on it right away. How do you change your life radically and change the way you're living? You know, when you've established, you know, yourself in a community and you've established, you know, your way, you know, the ways that you've chosen to go about your life. And so it was hard. And I, I didn't I kept it buried. Out. I didn't tell anyone that I felt this from God. Finally, he told his parents. They tried getting me, you know, involved in different programs, different, you know, um, groups within the church that, you know, really just helped individuals um, just live holy lives. But it didn't quite stick. I was like, wow, church teaching sounds boring and I don't want to live this. (laughs) And so I went back in that summer, summer of 2018, I lived the most scandalously, promiscuously, wildly that I ever had before. And, you know, our Lord is a gentleman and He opened the door for me and I chose to slam it back in his face. And so he just very politely was like, okay, son, I will be ready when you are. I'll be here waiting, but you go and do your thing and I'll see you when you come home. 
I was more miserable than I ever had been. I felt so disconnected because when we look like our Lord in the face and just blatantly spit in his face, you know, that's that hurts. He went searching for a while for other churches, churches that might affirm the lifestyle he was living. And then in the fall of 2018, once again, the Lord, as he dramatically does sometimes, <laughs> he just awoke me again. Um, and this time it was just a very desperate plea where I heard two things from the Lord. I heard the first was a very just a desperate cry, like a father to his prodigal son, of like, son, like, please come home. I need you. Um, and then the other one was time is running out. And so that night I told the Lord, I was like, I don't know who you are, Jesus. I hear you're good. I don't see it. But whoever you are, whatever you're about, I'm willing to open myself up to you if you help me because I can't do this alone. And so I made a promise him that night. And, you know, the Lord like makes it really clear that like ask and you shall receive. And I don't know how to describe it to you other than grace. Manny says in that moment, many of his desires, the desire to party, the desire to drink, the desire to smoke faded away. But I still was attracted to men. <laughs> it was not easy. I don't want to glamorize this and make it sound like, you know, yes, it was a radical conversion, but it was hard. Um, I started distancing myself from different, you know, social groups, different situations, and people noticed. And I lost a lot of friends, 90% of my community. Today, Manny's life looks pretty different. I have not been more at peace than I'm at now. I have not been more free than I am now. You know, I, I'm not, I don't live my life as a gay man. I don't, you know, call myself gay because that's not, my same-sex attractions don't define me. They don't, we can't allow our mere temptations to define who we are. Like, no, we are beloved children. We are, I'm a beloved son of the Father. I'm a man of God. and That's how I'm going to live. That's how I'm going to direct my actions. That's how I'm going to present myself to the world and to the Father. Um, and it's been freeing. Today, Manny uses his online voice to encourage other people experiencing same-sex attraction to live chaste lives as well. In 2019, Manny recorded himself sharing his testimony and posted it online. Thousands of people have since watched it, and many have reached out to him to thank him for the encouragement. I thought I was the only one, I thought I was alone, and I realized, like, Jesus, this is a part of the body of Christ that needs healing and that needs tending to. And so I started posting more videos. I started a blog site. And eventually I just realized that this was a ministry that um, I really felt convicted to participate in and to give my life to. Manny has also gotten involved with several Catholic organizations, including Courage International, which exists to help Catholics like Manny live out the church's teaching. Because community is vital for this walk of holiness. The Lord has just truly provided me with just so many men and women um, in my life, brothers and sisters, who just uplift me and love me in so many ways. Through my own ministry, I just encounter, I mean, so many men and women, young, old, you know, this, that, whatever, who experience same-sex attraction. It is not something minor or something small amongst the population of the church. Manny is the first to say that he still experiences some temptation, like any human being will. But he's also firmly convinced that the chaste lifestyle is the one he wants to live, and he has no plans to go back to the LGBT world. It was miserable. I don't want to go back to that. It was terrible. And, you know, this freedom that I've 
felt and that I've just received and embraced through the church and through church teaching, it's it's not something, it's not replaceable. It's not something that you can, that I have any desire to trade for the life I once lived. Although Manny is very happy now in his life as a Catholic, he said he hopes that other faithful Catholics will take the church's teaching about respect and accompaniment of those experiencing same-sex attraction to heart. You know, um, no unjust discrimination, um, walk with compassion, with patience, with sensitivity, with love. Um, you know, and I think right now, at least, a lot of the body of Christ focuses on truth, which is good, which is an aspect of love, and we should be speaking truth. But they don't, there's no charity, there's no accompaniment, there's no compassion. You don't, all you do is just tell me I can't do the, you know, I don't have sexual relations with other men, but then you do nothing else. It's like, okay, thanks for telling me that. How are you going to then help me through that and help me walk, you know, walk with me? Um, And so I hope that 30, 40 years down the line, Catholics don't only call on their brothers and sisters to holiness in this regard, you know, in this topic of same-sex attraction, you know, abstinence, but that they also walk with them. If you're going to ask Catholics like myself and like so many others to, you know, live lives of abstinence and to pursue chastity, that's great and that's beautiful. But now walk with me, you know, I can't do this alone. Accompany me. Be Jesus didn't carry his cross alone. He had Simon of Serene. Be my Simon of Serene. Walk with me. Walk with my brothers and sisters. Show us how to be, you know, how to live authentic, joyful lives that are abstinent. And so that would be my hope. The people within the church grow in their willingness to accompany their brothers and sisters who experience same-sex attraction um, and just grow in providing them community and providing them a support system to let them know that they're not alone, that they're loved, and that they belong. Paul Darrow was fully ensconced in the LGBT lifestyle for years, but ended up coming back to his Catholic faith thanks to a chance encounter with an elderly nun on television. We interviewed him back in 2019, and for our last segment, we'd like to rerun parts of that interview, since it's still so relevant. If you've already heard this interview, stay tuned for an update from Paul at the end. Here he is. I was what I consider a good Catholic kid against all odds. My father was an atheist, and my mother only went to church because her mother was a devout Catholic. And my father told my mother, you know, someday these kids are going to get married, and their fiancé is going to say, what religion are you? I don't want them to say they don't have a religion, so I want you to bring them to church. And it was only (laughs) for the reason that that atheist said that, that I went to church every Sunday with my mom and my brother. I loved God. I was in awe about certain things that I heard about Jesus and was confirmed. And then everything changed when puberty set in, I guess. I I became very self-indulgent. And it was because of my attraction to men. And I had been... um, sexually molested uh, three times before I was 10 years old, and I never had anger or bitterness towards anyone for that, but it set me on a different path. And then um, one thing led to another, and by the time I was 15, I 
found myself on a gay beach and um, just took off with the gay lifestyle. It just seemed so natural. It was something that felt good, that gave me validation. I uh, felt that I had very little to no love at home. My father was very violent. It's a, it's a big, long story, but I was given away at birth. I didn't realize that I was adopted until I was almost 30. So it was a very difficult life between my earliest memory and when I left for college were the most difficult times in my life, only because of my home life. But I felt very fortunate to suddenly be thrust into a situation where people were validating my being, especially men. And so I just jumped into the lifestyle without ever looking back. Soon, Paul moved from his childhood home of Pennsylvania, 200 miles east, to New York City. I could be anonymous there. I wouldn't need to worry about what my friends or extended family would think. And so I just lost myself in the big city. I became an international fashion model, and I had the whole world opened. It seemed, it seemed like the whole world, every opportunity, every opportunity in the world just opened up to me. There was little reason, if any, to look back towards spirituality or towards God, and definitely not towards the Catholic Church. But then Paul's friends started getting sick. I was in New York City during the AIDS epidemic, and I would say easily 90-plus percent of every friend of mine, everyone whom I knew to be living the same lifestyle that I was, was dying or had died. I had a lover at the time, and he, um, although he was only in the gay lifestyle for a few years and only in his 20s, he was one of the first 900 people in the entire United States states to be diagnosed with AIDS. And after enduring very painful, shameful months of lingering and hiding in our apartment, he died a terrible death. I just needed to get away. And um, I moved to San Francisco. And people say, well, why would you ever move to San Francisco? You know, the AIDS epidemic is very strong there as well. I said, yes, but I don't know these people. And so I felt like it was a, a new world. Every time somebody died, it didn't affect me personally because I didn't know them. In California, Paul began to rebuild his life. He met a new partner. They built a home together, combined their bank accounts, and started a business together. After all of the pain and heartache he had experienced back in New York, life for Paul in California was good. But then came the day that changed everything. We had a getaway in Southern California that we really got to visit because we were both workaholics and we really focused on our business and on going out and partying. And so I was in Southern California at, at our getaway and one day I was in the bedroom uh, after a long, hard night of partying. And so I would come home, it would be daylight, I'd be wide awake. And so I'd usually just channel surf and, and try to find something interesting because I couldn't go to sleep and I couldn't really focus on too much. And I came across this image on the television screen. 
And it just was so funny. It was it was so foreign to me. There was this full-faced woman, neatly tucked into an old-fashioned nun's habit. She had a distorted face. It looked like she had had a stroke. And she had a patch over one eye. And I just thought that she was hilarious. I had never seen this woman before in my life or this image before in my life. And so we laughed and he said, oh, you Catholics, even though I wasn't a Catholic, but he knew that was my background. And I remember saying something like, oh, you know, this, she's just like those old mean nuns, although I'd never met a nun who was mean. And so, um, so we laughed and laughed and he left the room. And then as I was about to switch channels, she said something that was so profound and so moving that it literally jolted me. And it was like, it just went right to my heart. Paul says he doesn't remember exactly what Mother Angelica said that day. He remembers she said something about God and about friendship. Perhaps it was something like this. You see, God created you and I to be happy in this life and the next. He cares for you. He watches your every move. There's no one that loves you can do that. I started listening to her and watching her. After a while, I, I started to realize that I had never heard her say one single thing. I had never heard Mother Angelica say one thing that I didn't agree with, which was pretty shocking considering my lifestyle and considering I was coming home from bars and bathhouses and all sorts of places when I would come across her. How could it be that I couldn't disagree with the Catholic nun when I hated Catholicism and God, actually? Somehow in my heart, I I knew that she she understood and she spoke the truth. I always thought that spiritual truth was just somebody's vague, undefinable theory. But Mother Angelica really taught me that, that spiritual truth really exists and that prayers are really answered. And although I started out by laughing at her, I started to fall in love with her like I did with my grandmother, who was who had the most influence on me when it came to my faith when I was a child. But we all want to be loved special and exclusively. And you are by God. You are by God loved special. Most people, you know, are a little bit put off because they think she's so serious and 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 looks like she's so stern and so inflexible. But her inflexibility is is because she's so aligned with truth. She's very funny. She has an incredible sense of humor. She has a beautiful, hearty laugh. She is so real. <laughs> Paul said he would watch Mother Angelica in secret. When his partner would come into the room, he would quickly change the channel. He told nobody about the nun on the TV and the impact she was having on his life. He told nobody for six months. I hit her for quite a while. But while he watched and listened to Mother Angelica in secret, Paul's heart was changing. In discovering Mother Angelica, 
Paul says he rediscovered God and the truth of the Catholic Church. I would even drive like 20 miles, 25 miles to go to a church that wasn't in my little town so that no one would see me sneaking into a Catholic church. It seems like I'm always on the wrong side of the stick. I remember when I used to sneak into gay bars when, when I was a teenager and I, still living in Pennsylvania or at college. Well, it was the same thing when I was when I decided to become a Catholic. And I knew there was no turning back. I just fell in love with the church and with Mother Angelica. Little by little, Paul began to tell people. He started by telling his partner that the so-called pirate nun they had made fun of so many months ago was actually having an impact on Paul. He began telling his friends and then clients of his real estate business. And because I was living in a gay resort town, I was surrounded by people who would think that I was a freak. (laughs) The reaction was so obnoxious that I really stopped telling people. I remember one woman who was one of my very best friends, and and she said, you're Catholic. Now don't tell me you're against abortion. She said, I can never be your friend again. Despite pushback and rejection, Paul continued to learn more about the Catholic faith. He joined a parish. With time, he began to take great pride and ownership of his new life. If you're my friend, I mean, if I communicate with you, I'm probably going to bring up the word God in a conversation. Since his conversion eight years ago, Paul has been living a completely chaste life. And he has dedicated his life to sharing his story and to promoting church teaching on chastity. I've never been happier in my entire life. I've never felt more loved in my entire life. And even though I had been with hundreds and then thousands of men, I never felt the love that I feel now, as I said. As I look back in my life, everything happened for a reason. It's just amazing, and it's all thanks to Mother Angelica and God, of course. But Mother Angelica was the was the one that really, really blasted that door wide open. It's been a couple of years since we first ran Paul's story, so we reached out to him again to see how he was doing. He told us that although the time spent away from Mass during lockdown was difficult for him, as it was for so many people, he said his prayer life actually improved during lockdown. He said in the last year and a half, the number of prayer requests he received from others has at least doubled. He said he's also been able to continue getting together in small group meetings on a regular basis with fellow Courage members and his local Courage chaplain. As for his miraculous conversion, he still says that none of this would have happened had it not been for the Holy Spirit and for Mother Angelica. Mother Angelica founded CNA's parent company, EWTN, in a garage in the 1980s. EWTN has since grown to become one of the largest religious media companies in the entire world. Mother Angelica died in 2016, having touched many lives, including Paul's. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. I'm your host, Jonah McKeown. I produce and edit this show with the help of our executive producer, Kate Oliveira.
A very special thanks this week to Father Philip Bachansky, Manny Gonzalez, and to Paul Darrow. And hey, if you're a fan of CNA Newsroom, share an episode with a friend or family member, and be sure to subscribe. Thanks everyone, and happy June.